from Bloom. <laughs> from. Uh, okay, live. live. What is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is. This is. This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians. Hello and welcome to the final episode of American Student Radio for the spring semester, broadcasting from WIUX LP Bloomington. We're in the studio today with all five of the executive producers, including our four dear seniors about to depart. I'm the junior though, Emily Miles. I'm Carter Barrett. I'm Angela Batista. I'm Sarah Panfil. And I'm Sophia Salaby. Guys, what is our portmanteau or like celebrity relationship name? Would it be Sophangemerer, Cardiliosaria? Should we settle like for an acronym? It could be like a C-E-S, like ESC, like Saxa. So, so we're thinking about shortening things today, right? Oh, we are, because for our final show, we challenged our producers to make stories that are only one minute long. Not a second longer or shorter. We're talking about 60 seconds. So we have pieces about campus controversies, a roommate intervention, dispatches from abroad, and a performance art piece about hummus. This first story brought back a memory I think about a lot. See, when I was in kindergarten, my teacher asked the class to stand on a leg for one minute. The exercise was supposed to teach us a lesson about time, about how long a minute can really feel. And did the lesson sink in? No. Like, I was a stubborn kid. I remember how my teacher asked me how I felt, and I was, like, wobbling on one leg, like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But when I really learned the power of a minute was when I started an exercise routine. And I'll tell you, when I'm planking, I feel that minute. Let's give it a listen. I'm going to do a plank for one minute. And I'm doing it now. God damn it, why, why did I think this would be a good idea? Okay, it's been 23 seconds. The first half is always the easiest. And then it gets harder. The last 20 seconds. Oh my god. I gave up. Oh my god. Okay, uh, well, that was sad. Uh, let's try this again. And this is, this is the story. Um... Or not that. Uh, shoot. It's really hard. <sighs> Halfway through. You know, it's like a f- It's like a god. It's like I can't cuss. It's a mental challenge. But it's like a feat when you get done and you collapse. Ten seconds. You can do anything. You can do anything for ten seconds. Three. Two. Woo. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Now we're going to talk about a controversial campus topic. Yeah. Now that the weather is nice, have you guys seen people in their hammocks? Sometimes they're really high up in the giant oak trees, but sometimes it looks like those little saplings are just going to snap. Occasionally, there are more creative people who have their setup in more elaborate ways, with several hammocks hung one over another across several trees, like a perfect synergy of hammocking. Well, if you're anything like Nora Ahmed, you see these people having fun and ask, why not use a pillow? This is my first hammock experience. I'm just going to like get in really quickly and I'm scared I'm going to fall out. Okay, I have been invited into a hammock with these nice young ladies. And if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves. Um, I'm Erin. I'm Lauren. 
I'm Corinne. I'm kind of like, I'm not a grumpy old man about hammocks, but I don't really get them. And I just kind of wanted you to all talk about why could hammocking not be accomplished with a pillow? Well, it's just, it's really easy to set it up, like a lot easier than people think. It's literally just, you have two straps on the end and you just clip them on and you're good to go. And it's just, it's really relaxing. It's like sitting inside a cocoon or something. You get to swing back and forth. So you kind of feel like you're a kid again in a swing. It's just fun to do with other people. And then you're also like not on the ground. So you don't have to worry about bugs or wetness. Yeah. Yeah. Also the hammocks like slightly rock back and forth and it's like very calming. It us maybe three minutes to set up the whole thing. And mm-hmm. then you're set for hours to just sit and relax. Thanks, Nora. Um, We're staying on campus for this next story. And guys, I have to ask, how would you feel about pulling an all-nighter every night? Mm, Well, it is finals week, so that's the life that a lot of students are leading, though not me, because I prioritize sleep over everything. But anyway, do you mean like working the night shift? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, Jacob DeCastro went to the one building on campus dedicated to late night studying and procrastinating, Herman B. Wells Library, to talk to some people uh, who have to work the graveyard shift. Attention, please. The floors of these tower and ground floors Students cramming for exams or finishing papers aren't the only ones pulling all-nighters at the library. Every night, IU employees working from midnight to 8 a.m. have to make sure everything runs smoothly, too. My name is Caleb Marsh. Caleb is a security guard at Wells. And I just count the number of people on each floor at the library. What's the hardest part about working the night shift? Staying awake. From 5 to 6, it's pretty rough, but after that, it's pretty easy. Do you drink any coffee or anything to stay awake? Uh, I take a lot of pre-workout, which helps keep me up. It's not only security guards here late at night, though, trying to stay awake. Uh, my name is Reese Duggar. I work for IU in their Technology Consultant Center um, department. What is your favorite part about working the night shift? Uh, how quiet it is and how little I really have to do. <laughs> what like time period is the hardest to get through? Probably the last hour of the shift because that's when everyone starts showing up in the morning and that's when I really just want to leave. Thanks for that story, Jacob. This next piece is mine, and it's pretty close to my heart, since I'm from Evansville, Indiana, which was actually ravaged by a flood when my grandma was four years old. 81 years ago, the Ohio River swelled and devastated the valley. Across the region, the flood caused billions of dollars of damage, and nearly 400 people died. This is Mary Ann Huggins' memory of what is now called the Great Flood of 1937. This applies to all refugee stations. I can recall seeing houses float down down the Ohio River. River. Gradually it got worse and worse. Uh, We all had to go ahead and get typhoid shots. And I think we were probably in the basement of a church. And it was painted that sickly green that all basements needed. And then the electricity went. We had no water. In the middle of the night, my father came. And and I remember him saying to my mother, there's water coming into the car. We've got to get out of here. It was just as dark as it could possibly be because there were no streetlights. Everything was gone. We had a terraplane, which was a car, and I remember being put in the back seat. And then I probably went back to sleep. Marianne was recorded by her son, Andrew Welsh Huggins, who uploaded the recording to the StoryCorps website. So, how do you guys feel about your roommates? Uh, No comment. (laughs) I live with Italian, so pretty much it's pasta and everything is molto bene. (laughs) 
sorry. Uh, I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that one. Yeah, and uh, my roommate was a plant, but then he died, so now I live alone. <laughs> so things can get pretty tense when sharing a space with a few people. When ASR producer Tarek Warner said he had no problems with his roommates, we told him to stage a roommate intervention on himself. Mm-hmm. He sat down with his roommates, Kyle, Parker, and other Kyle, to learn that he had been ranked fourth in cleanliness in the house. Ouch, that is some drama. Hey man, this shared space a little bit. Can you pick something up? And then yeah, you pick it up and then we're all good. No, I just feel like everyone's like subtweeting me. Cleanliness is different between you two, like drastically. I'd say Kyle is the cleanest one here, and you're probably on the dirtier side. Okay, um, so I'd already lived with Tarek at one point my sophomore year, so I, I basically knew what I was coming into there. You just have you just have more hair, so like when I shave my once a month, I try to put it in the sink, and every once in a while when you shave, it's a counter thing. Definitely had spurts, though. Like, like actually, what well, was Sunday? You literally cleaned up that whole party. A little more party atmosphere, but nothing, nothing that you can't just live with. Hey, you can, you can, you can just say my name next time. Okay, but none of it is one person's fault. That's just I wanted. I want people to know that it's not one person's fault. Okay, so when I was little, my parents owned a typewriter that could fold up into a little suitcase. And I remember I was four years old playing with this typewriter and typing out, I love Digimon. I guess I really love Digimon so much that I needed it to be typed out. Mm, Wow, I really identify with that too. Not the typing out, I love Digimon, but like my grandparents had a lot of typewriters and I would sneak off into their studio and clack, clack, clack. So yeah, it's real. Ever wonder how the typewriter became so popular in the United States? Producer Rick Brewer brings us a short history of the typewriter from the IU Social Sciences Librarian, Nicholas Wyant. Throughout the Civil War, uh, the company Remington produced hundreds of thousands of firearms, and they were really good at stamping out or creating a lot of metal parts very, very quickly. And Remington saw this as an opportunity for somewhere they could kind of employ their manufacturing prowess to make a profit. Remington viewed the Civil War as a kind of war to end wars, at least in the American sense. There there were those in the corporation that felt, okay, no one's going to want to go to war again because it would just be ridiculous. So many more people are going to die. The viewpoint from Summit Remington was, there's no way we'll go to war at that scale again, so let's start manufacturing something else. Hence, the typewriter. Rick, always with the history. Thanks for that piece, man. Sometimes you need to make your way through chaos to find the right rhythm. In this next piece, Peeler Brynjarski takes us through several scenes on a journey to the top of a 260-year-old Dutch windmill. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. As you noticed, it's quite quite busy in the train, so if you put, please, please put your bags in the luggage racks so other passengers can have a seat as well. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, 
It's the end of the semester, guys. So that means I just want to laugh away all my stress. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting coping mechanism. Hey. Don't knock it to you. Try it. So I sat down with Maggie Eikhoff, Emma Williamson, Brantley Goodrich, and Julia Weinstock, four ladies in the comedy scene on campus, and challenged them to tell as many jokes and one-liners as they could in one minute. What do you call a uh, Batman who doesn't go to church? What? Christian Bale. <laughs> uh, what did the daddy buffalo say to his son when he went off to college? What? Bye, son. <laughs> Where does the king keep his armies? In his sleeveys. <laughs> what do you call uh, Santa's helpers? Subordinate claws. Uh, 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 what's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? One is a little lighter. Oh, I still got nothing. <laughs> what's the difference between a cat and a semicolon? One is a pause at the end of a clause, and the other has claws at the end of its paws. <laughs> oh, what do you call a melon that um, gets married secretly? Um, a cantaloupe. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Wouldn't that be if a cat get married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I also don't have anything, and we have seven seconds left. Julia. <laughs> <laughs> that really gave me something to ponder. Well, they don't call you Sarah Punfill for nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to end your guys' pun battle with music in that piece was provided by Poddington Bear under a Creative Commons license. Pundington, Pundington Bear. Okay. So speaking of these hilarious things, um, apparently providing plastic bags for all grocery and convenience store and road stand fruit stand purchases is kind of a U.S. thing. So you can imagine my surprise when in Budapest last summer, I had to balance a few liters of water and packages in my arms as I struggled through the store and back to the apartment I was living in. In this next piece, you can hear my stress. Give a bag. Um, I walk down the street. <laughs> so, Emily, in stressful situations, do you just tend to turn on the recorder? I think it's less stress and more tension. Like when I think that there's going to be something happening or something I want to remember because I've never done it before or don't plan to do it again. I don't know, I just want to have it. Mm -hmm, I get that. Sometimes I'll turn on the audio recording on my phone too. Um, and in this next piece, in fact, one of my classmates in an experimental poetry class works through some of her feelings through audio. Corinne Florentino loves hummus. You might even say she's obsessed. Like, I would, I would say she's obsessed. And when she performed this piece for class, she actually brought in hummus and crackers and ate them in front of us. This is the kind of content I need. Same. So for this one-minute story, I cut down that audio component, but I think it maintains the same fun flavor. Boar's Head Roasted Red Pepper Hummus. My mom is the person who introduced me to the snack, and within a week, 
I was addicted. My friend Tim once saw me eating hummus and said, Damn, she loves blended chickpeas. Damn, she loves blended chickpeas. Even though I've eaten enough of this hummus to last a lifetime, I still do feel some guilt. My brand is absolutely non-negotiable. Boar's head roasted red pepper. I know the boar's head kills boars and other living beings. I try to be a conscious consumer, but am I? If I support a meat company by buying two tubs of their delicious product weekly, I wish there was information on who designed the shape of the classic tub of hummus. Does that person consider themselves an artist? I question every day if I'm an artist. I feel too logical to be an artist and want consistency. Are they joking with that serving size? Well, maybe I should stop eating it as an entire meal. Hummus is my little habit, a little ritual that makes me happy. For me. Okay, so actually Sarah and I were talking the other day about how every once in a while we get to listen in on the lives of others, like kind of like tourists. About a year ago, I got that opportunity with this guy I matched on Tinder and his friend. Um, and now I want to share it with you. If only we could put you in Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this face would sell enough covers, but you know. Yeah, well, the coming of Guy Fox. <laughs> there you go. But no, I think the main realm in which I'd find any fame or notoriety would probably be in the mental area. You know what I mean? Like. No, what do you mean? That's a big area. Well, <laughs> I'm saying, like, the mental studies. Like, oh. Them putting me behind a door with a tiny little window and staring at me for you know 28 hours a day. Just wait, man. Just wait. I'm going to get my neuroscience degree. <laughs> I knew there was an agenda. We our first crazy. I knew there was an agenda in our friendship. <laughs> We're getting a little serious with this next piece. Mm -hmm. Emily grew up in a big family with a lot of men. And as she grew up, she realized that these men in her family didn't totally understand the price that comes with being a woman. She moved to Washington, D.C. in January at the height of the hashtag MeToo movement and a few weeks later started documenting harassment experiences. Producer Sheila Raghavadran brings us this story. So, Emily, what happened today? So, I was at CVS, and an employee, a man behind me, started aggressively yelling at me in a demeaning manner. It was, it was just very brutal and rude, and it was not any way, shape, and form how some human should communicate to another human being. I just wanted to go right up to him and be like, you cannot talk to people that way. You cannot talk to women that way. You cannot talk to anyone that way. I've been starting to take notes on all of the catcalling experiences that I've experienced in D.C. Each experience, I've been wearing a different outfit. It has nothing to do with what I'm wearing. So what's, um, why are you documenting all of these? You know, like, one of the main reasons is um, I have a brother and a dad that don't really understand this. Especially for my brother, because he's a senior in high school, and I hope that he takes this information and has more of an open mind. He'll be around guys, and if someone makes a joke, I hope to God he stands up and he stops it. Thanks, Sheila, for that piece. Almost anyone in a relationship has a quick story ready to explain how they met their partner, but not everyone's is so opera perfect. Longtime Bloomington resident Spiridon Stratagos described his fateful romance to producer Peter Brynjarski. Here it is in less than a minute. Any lady says, oh, that, her name is Nikki, but she's married. And I said, oh, that figures months maybe a year went by 
And he said, hey, you know that, that woman that you uh, asked me about last year? I heard she got divorced recently. Whoa. I mean, I was really uh, smitten. <laughs> and then one day, as luck would have it, I was at uh, Working Men's Federal, uh, which was a mortgage bank, and she happened to be in the waiting room. We both were divorced, and we were redoing our, our mortgages, and we both discovered that what we'd like to do is move out in the country and live simply. Well, two years later, we bought a piece of land, sold our homes in town, and we've been living in the country ever since. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't believe there are accidents in the universe. It was meant to be. And uh, thank God, because she's been the best thing in my life, without question. Thanks for that piece, Peeler. Uh, so I have a question for you all. Um, what would you say is the worst place on campus? Um, maybe the stacks in the Wells Library. Definitely haunted, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. No, the crosswalk at Indiana and Kirkwood is much scarier than any ghost. The crosswalk on 10th and the Kelly School of Business is way worse. Ooh, okay, okay. These are good, but you guys are all wrong. It's the Ballantine Stairs. I know. Every time I go up the stairs in Ballantine, I get a little self-conscious about how out of shape I am. (laughs) Hey, I don't think you're the only one because that's definitely me. And ASR producer Sophia Mustin, who took the stairs at Ballantine and got surprisingly emotional about one of the most dreaded places on campus. It's about 5.30 on the Friday of Little Five Week. I've decided to say goodbye to Ballantine in the best way I know how. And that's to climb all the floors of the staircase. Okay, floor one. Floor two. Third floor. Okay. Floor four. Fifth floor, a.k.a. seven. Um, fifth floor looks the same as all the rest of them. You hear that buzzing? Floor six. Floor seven now. Okay, Eighth floor. Eighth floor. Nine, and I think this might be where it stops. It's darker, it's echoey. Valentine, I can't say I've loved you, but I can say I've appreciated you. The departments that live here, they're like arteries, and I guess if they're like arteries, you could kind of consider this a heart. I'll say that Valentine certainly gets my heart pumping. This comes from one of our veteran producers who is abroad this semester in St. Petersburg. You mean St. Pete, Florida? No, no, I mean I mean Russia. Oh, gotcha. Uh, from Russia, with love, this is Abby Gibson's ode to the St. Petersburg public transit. <laughs> Скажите, а за что вы любите Петербург? Прекрасная природа. И тоже я здесь, потому что я хочу знать русский язык. Мыслю, как тебя In our last piece, us seniors are getting a little sentimental. 
Yeah, this piece comes from this last November when a lot of us attended the Third Coast Audio Festival. It's kind of like radio nerd heaven. And in our first hours when we were in Chicago, we all went into Chinatown for some tasty dim sum. And this piece is us reading our fortune cookies. Do you mean to crack? Do you mean to crack it? So what does your fortune say? It says, you are always welcome in any gathering. I don't necessarily feel like mine's a fortune. Um, you are an interested in public service and would make an outstanding statesman. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fortune? I don't think that's a fortune. It doesn't okay. fortune anything. Okay. Okay, let's see. Your dearest wish will come true. <laughs> I, I don't know what my dearest wish is. Also, uh, my lucky numbers are 4, 7, 34, 22, 50, and 32. All right. Mm. You will conquer obstacles to achieve success. Sure. And the word for time in Chinese, I'm assuming in Mandarin, is Shijian. Sarah's a wizard. It's now six months later, and a lot has changed for all of us. It's easy to listen back to us reading these fortunes and wonder if there's maybe something to them. Yeah, especially the one, you will conquer obstacles to achieve success. I don't know if ASR is a success or not, but this is an organization we love with all of our hearts. It's a great experiment, a near constant hustle, but most importantly, and I'm dead serious, this isn't cheesy, a family. ASR has been such a labor of love, and it's hard to believe we're passing it off to a new generation of amazing, fabulous radio producers, and we know that they'll do such great things. Mm -hmm. We really do love you, our listeners, and it's been an honor. I also want to say that I really love everyone I've gotten to know over these past few years who works with American Student Radio, and it has been the greatest pleasure to get to know all of you. So we're going to sign off for the very last time. For American Student Radio, I'm Sophia Salaby. I'm Carter Barrett. I'm Angela Batista. And I'm Sarah Panfill. And together, we're <laughs> Cartilio Siria. Maybe, guys? Mm, Sofan no. Jumerer. Uh, we're going to yeah. e Did we decide on this? We'll Can we please no. decide no. on this? Okay. Um, so thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm Emily Miles, and I promise that we'll be back next semester. And you should listen or maybe join us. Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes every Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash American-student-radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.